Welcome to The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Joining us on this episode is a man that has umpired in independent professional baseball, has worked multiple Baseball Canada National Championships, and is currently working minor league affiliated baseball, Alex Laurie. Topics covered are how he got his start with professional baseball, working independent baseball, his work within the Baseball Canada and Baseball Nova Scotia umpire program, and how he idolizes Mario Lemieux more than Wayne Gretzky. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming! Interesting baseball facts. Being an umpire at the turn of the 20th century had some perks. Most umpires weren't what we would consider umpires today. They didn't have a lot of training. And oftentimes when people left to go to a baseball game, many didn't realize that they could end up being the umpire. You see, at one time, umpires were chosen from the crowd prior to the first pitch. Now, they were often prominent members of the local community. But really, what umpire isn't today? Now, here's where the perks come in. Rather than spending all that energy to squat behind the catcher, umpires were provided with easy chairs in the general vicinity of home plate. And on top of that, umpires were always provided with the best choice of food and the largest glass of beer. Looking back on it, really, in 150 years, have we really come that far? Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not a big beer fan, but that doesn't surprise a lot of people. But when it comes to easy chairs at home plate, that's something I can get into. Now that I look back on it, it's something that I've experienced in the past. Yes, I have had the opportunity to umpire, you could say, from a lazy boy. 2014, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, the local baseball team is running a promotion. During the seventh inning stretch, when all eight fans, two gate attendants, four canteen workers, and the local guy that shows up to collect any empty cans, are standing and singing, take me out to the ball game, the team rolls out this lazy boy. They ask the umpire to sit in it, so that they can run a promotion with a local furniture company. So as umpires being the good sports that we are, we understand that sponsorship's a big deal. We agree to play along with it and partake in the promotion. Now, prior to the game, the general manager comes in and explains it. Just sit back, relax, 30 seconds. We're gonna drop a couple sponsors and we'll be off with it. Now, anytime there is a promotion that involves an umpire, I always think to myself, oh, this is not gonna go over very well. How am I gonna get burned with this? So like I said, 2014, we hit the middle of the season. All the umpires have done this a few times. I've been through the drill, no big deal. Now, just add a little fuel to the fire. I'm new to Saskatchewan, only been here a year and a half, and I'm finally breaking in, and I'm getting supervised by the provincial supervisor at the time, Trevor Drury. So I'm a little butt puckered to say the least. To give a little background for you, the visiting team at Cairns Field in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan sits on the first base side. It's the top of the seventh, two out, runner on second base. Ball is hit to the outfield. Play comes into the plate. I call the runner out. Like every close call in baseball, one team is happy, the other team is not. Now in this specific situation, the team's manager is also the third base coach, so he has to go by me to get to the first base dugout. Now he's taking his time walking down the line. I have this strong suspicion I know what's coming. He's waiting for me to sit down so that he can give it to me. I'm not gonna lie, I was a young punk at the time and I'm thinking to myself, mm, I'm gonna bait him and see what happens. 
I had also heard that my supervisor at the time might have enjoyed a little fireworks and animosity every once in a while and really didn't like to see umpires back down. So the chair gets out there and I sit down and right on cue, the manager starts going off on me. Now at the time, I'm sitting there thinking two things. One, manager, you're more predictable than a Christmas Hallmark movie. And two, you are giving me a great opportunity for a story later on in my career. And after all these years, here I am sharing it. So this manager's busy going up one side of me, down the other. He's kind of holding up the home team pitcher because, well, it's right in the vicinity of home plate and they can't warm up. By this point, I've let him get in a few words and I can remember one thing he said specifically and he goes, did you get your license from a cereal box? I remember thinking to myself, really a license? I've never thought of it like that. But anyways, next thing I say, smart ass me, nope, don't eat cereal. I live a gluten-free lifestyle. Naturally, if he wasn't pissed off with me already, he is now, and eventually, I eject him. Now, I was dumb enough to say that last line, but I'm smart enough to not say anything else. I let him have his say, and he eventually walks away. But there you have it. One more thing I can add to my resume, umpiring from a lazy boy chair. <laughs> but moving on, welcome to this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Before we get into this episode with Alex Laurie, a minor league umpire, let's do a little reflection back on the last episode where he brought on a man that's done three international events, worked multiple Baseball Canada National Championships, and prefers pumpernickel over rye bread, Elmer Jerkovitz. So if you checked it out, here's what you heard, and if you haven't heard it yet, well, this is what you're missing. When I was eight, I started playing organized ball until my last year of under U13. I started in 1976. As a 13-year-old, I was playing hockey late in the spring, broke my arm. I didn't really let anybody's comments rattle me. So I got to the hotel about one in the morning, and wouldn't you know, my room was right beside Don's, and his door was open. So I opened the door, I said, Don, how you doing? He goes, Elmer, we had no idea if you're going to make it or not, or where you were, or what was going on. And I said, well, I phoned and left you a message. He said, my cell phone stopped working as soon as I got on to Prince Edward Island, the Japan-Cuba game that I ended up going in as a plate umpire in sixth inning had about 9,000 people. I was on coffee break, and I'm a Twitter junkie. I like to follow the news and sports. I open it up, and I'm looking at the article, and I'm thinking, do, do I remember any of these players? And, and I know Ron Shuchuk follows some of these guys' stats really closely, so he probably would have... Uh, a better handle on the all-stars selection than I would. I do get a kick out of doing games at Curry Field. Some people might think I do a visit a little too much with some of the fans. I'd learned something at that point, too, about how players and officials interact. I had never seen that before, and it was kind of an eye-opener for me. We'll give back to those and give opportunities for others. Well, Elmer, isn't that what the game of baseball and umpiring is all about at the end of the day? Giving back to others? I'm broaching the subject with sincere sadness and condolences to the family of Mitch Ball, a beloved Canadian umpire who passed away on May 1st. Mitch Ball was the type of individual that would give the shirt off his back. He was really a one-in-a-generation type person. I've never come across a person that ever said one negative thing about Mitch Ball, and from what I heard from people, Mitch Ball would never say one negative thing about another person. Mitch was one of those individuals that if you met him, he had the ability to change your life whether you knew it or not. 
Mitch was a natural prankster or jokester and made sure that every conversation was filled with some kind of laughter. Mitch was a fun-loving guy and just a big teddy bear, as many would say. And that teddy bear status is how he acquired his popular name, the Root Bear. And of course, for his love of A&W Root Beer. There are many times that we don't often think about the impact that individuals make on our life. But when the news broke of Mitch's passing on May 1st, the outpouring of support and stories being shared on social media was phenomenal. We've often talked about the umpire family here on The Leading Edge. While I know it's difficult to really compare generations and people coming together when monumental individuals pass within organizations, at this time, all I can say is I have never been part of such a close-knit group of people from coast to coast that have come together with the passing of Mitch Ball. It really speaks wonders to what the Baseball Canada umpire family is. Now, I'm saying this because I'm trying to find a silver lining within this tragedy. And at this time, I am so proud to be part of the baseball umpire community and family. The response by putting together a beautiful memorial service for Mitch was second to none. I don't want to name names because I don't want to leave people out. But to anyone that has organized or tried to pay tribute to Mitch, thank you kindly for allowing us to grieve together and honoring a beloved family member with Mitch Ball. At this time, I would once again like to send my condolences to the family of Mitch Ball and say, rest easy, Mitch Ball, you will be missed. And just one more side note, there was a GoFundMe page set up. I will be putting a link in the show descriptions. Please forgive me if it's not active when you go to click it, but at the time of recording, it is active and it has raised $101,800. Just another testament to the impact that Mitch Ball had on the many people around this world. I will admit that it's difficult to transition from a topic like that, but as umpires, we're taught to focus on the next pitch. So without further ado, Leading Edge Umpire Entertainment is proud to bring on an umpire with two Baseball Canada National Championships, has worked the Can-American Independent Professional Baseball League, is currently working minor league baseball in the Arizona Rookie League, and a guy that still collects Pokemon cards, Alex Laurie. Alex, welcome to The Leading Edge. Phil, thanks for having me on, buddy. Great to be here. Glad to be here. Well, Alex, it's always my pleasure to bring on a fellow umpire from across Canada, a few time zones away, but an umpire like yourself that has worked their way up through the Baseball Canada Umpire Program and is now working affiliated minor league baseball. I really look forward to this episode. Hey, I'm super glad you brought me on. I'm sorry I wasn't able to get on earlier, but we're here now. We're here now. That's all that matters, right? That's right. Living in the present, forget about the past. And as they say in umpiring, forget about that pitch. Worry about the next one. That's right. Okay. One of the first things we like to do here in the leading edge is we like to give the guests the opportunity to defend themselves as a potential player growing up. Alex, did you play baseball? I did play baseball growing up. It's always good to hear. I wasn't terrible. Uh, in fact, my first game as a rookie-level player, I turned an unassisted triple play. Can't bring that up and not share it. Let's hear about it. It was rookie-level. It was every player bats in the inning. You know, you get on, you get on, you get out, you get out. There's all, you always act like there's no outs. So I'm playing shortstop, line drive, catch it, tag the runner from second, run into third. They don't know to tag up. Run and tag third base, there's a triple play, and if my first baseman could catch a damn ball, I would have uh, 
had a quadruple play. But yeah, that was my first off. I went up uh, for there. I played AAA most of my life up until the midget age. I just kind of realized baseball wasn't taking me anywhere. So I was already into the umpiring gig. But I was fairly decent um, growing up. I was a catcher for the most part. So I, uh, I got to gain the relationships with the umpires at a young age early on. So that was nice. And my head coach was, uh, he was a catcher in his day, Todd Parker. He grew up, I think he went to some minor league training camps with the Expos and Blue Jays. So I was able to get a lot of great teaching from him. And he was able to give me, he saw I had a high baseball IQ. He told me how to talk with umpires from a young age. So that was very beneficial from a catching perspective. And then once I started umpiring, it was beneficial from an umpire perspective to be able to talk with my catchers. Well, really interesting. We've had other guests here on the Leading Edge, and they have all been catchers as well. One question I've asked them is, are you a better umpire now, or were you a better umpire as a catcher? <laughs> we're always better umpires when we're catchers, aren't we? <laughs> I don't know. Were you able to steal a few pitches? Uh, you know what? No, I'm going to go with I'm probably a better umpire, because as a catcher, I remember trying to steal a couple pitches and uh, getting the old heave ho fighting for my pitcher and... Uh, in uh, early Bantam or, or late Bantam, early midget years, I got that. So once I got into my midget AAA years, I realized, you know, hey, don't hold that pitch there for five seconds to let him know that was a strike. If he ain't trying, you ain't winning. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much, you know, hey. And even those pitches three inches off, you frame him in. If you ain't cheating, you ain't winning. So if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So Yeah, no, I'm definitely better on par than I was a catcher. That's for sure. Okay, that's good to hear. Now, any memorable championships as a player? Provincial champions count? Yeah, of course. Oh, God. Well, let me tell you this one, Philly. Um, Mosquito AAA, my second year. Oh, here we go. 11U. Can't wait. 11U. Uh, we didn't win our first game until uh, July 22nd or 24th, around that, the last week into July. And just we to clarify, played... in the Maritimes, typically baseball will start Victoria Day, May long weekend. May long weekend. That's right. Yeah. So we're, we're two, two months into the season. We haven't won a game in a tournament, this and that. We go away to Charlottetown PEI for a tournament, and we ended up losing in the finals of a 16-team tournament. We went 5-1. and one. only game we lost was the championship game. So we, it's fair to say we were fairly atrocious, but our coaches had a method of we're not here to win games in the regular season. We're here you know, pitch everybody, play everybody, fair play, even though it's AAA. Yep. So once Provincials came around, we had 10 of our players could pitch. Everybody else, every team had two or three pitchers. So we kind of ran rough shot. We were a tournament team playing, winning, playing, winning. So um, we actually didn't make playoffs that year. Out of the five teams in the league, four teams made playoffs. So we didn't make the playoffs, but uh, we were provincial champions. And I'll never forget, uh, I play for Cole Harbor. One of the Dartmouth coaches says, you know, how does the worst team in the league win provincials? And Somebody responded, yeah, it might be the worst team in the league, but they're the best team in the province. And uh, <laughs> I'll never forget that. You know, we, we were terrible. I don't think we've won a regular season game. We won tournament games, exhibition games, and provincial games. And I think we came third in Atlantics in Atlantic Canada that year. If you're going to win, you might as well win when it counts. That's right. Did you ever get the chance to move on and play in a national championship? Um, nationals, No. In my next year of baseball after Mosquito, in my first year of Peewee, we were in the finals of national eliminations. We lost that game to Dartmouth. They were filthy. They were incredible. Yes. 
so we they went to nationals, but we went to Atlantic. So the second best team in all four provinces right. went did their own Atlantic team. So we did uh, go to that. We did win that. Oh wow! Fairly fairly easily, we ran. We won every game. Still has by, the trophy by on quite the a bit. I mean, we had Chris Thibodeau on our team. He played NCAA Div One. He was an All American. I think he's playing uh, in the Can Am or the Frontier League with the Quebec Capital now. So he was he kind of just took our team and right from a young age was a baseball player was he oh yes he was yeah he was uh he was really good still is obviously but yeah we so we won atlantics i won't say we're the best team in atlantic canada because there was the four teams that went to nationals best team that it was still that something tournament, it was right? an atlantic championship right you wouldn't have the story to tell if you weren't there and didn't win that right exactly any big situations triple plays in that tournament or just playing <laughs> traditional baseball yeah that was uh, just good traditional baseball where did you get to go for that championship? Uh, I believe we were in Riverview, New Brunswick. Three-hour drive up the was. road. Yeah, just down the road, Miramichi. Yeah, an hour and a half, boys. And yes. Riverview, just in case anyone wants to know, it's just outside of Moncton and beside Dieppe. So right at the part of the greater Moncton area. So a lot of people here in the Baseball Canada world, they hear Moncton. But at one time, Riverview had a fantastic minor baseball system and i think they still do i know there's been some amalgamations and like everything over the years but riverview a's and riverview a's cole harbor cardinals that was the <laughs> new brunswick nova scotia matchup growing up from mosquito to midget and uh, if you're gonna say Miramichi, well it was the newcastle cardinals too i remember playing the cole harbor cardinals a few times over the years too <laughs> so I was, recall playing the Newcastle Cardinals twice and we won 10 nothing both games oh yeah sure you didn't we were the yeah we were the soaring cardinals yeah. <laughs> Prefer not to have people lie here on the leading edge. So we'll move on to the next section, okay? <laughs> okay, let's get into the crux of why you're here. When did you get into umpiring? Oh, man, I was 12, 13. It was my second year PUE baseball. So I would have been 13, I believe. Uh, that was my first year. I was always drawn to umpiring. Uh, like I say, even in Mosquito, when I was playing baseball, I was always interested in the umpire. And like I say, talking with the umpires learning about the rules, talking with my coaches about different rules to pick brains of, you know, the rules and the knowledge and everything else that goes into the game aside from playing. So we would have, you know, day-long practices, and we'd go back to coach's place, everybody, pizza party, jump in the pool, and then we'd go play our little backyard baseball game. And when we'd do that, I would umpire. I was just always the umpire. I, <laughs> no, I don't want to play. I'm going to umpire. And that was just that. I was drawn to it from 10, 11 years old. So when I got the opportunity to umpire, I jumped at it. Um, Blaine was, you know, he was a coach in the Blaine Gallant, coached uh, through the, his son was around my age. So he coached, he knew me, knew I was intelligent and into baseball. Asked him about it, told me when the clinics were. So I went to my clinic and that's when I started and just, you know, two, three games a week for my first few years and progress, learn, get better. Exactly. That's how I started. Love it. I love the modesty too. Knew I was intelligent. Quite interesting. You bring up the name Blaine Glant. Obviously, he's mentored a lot of people over the years. Yourself, and he mentored a previous guest here in the leading edge by the name of Ashton Liskey. Blaine's been around a long time. He's been around for a very long time, and you know he's he's a little bit controversial. You know he he talks, but he speaks his mind, and that's what's great about him. You know he's not afraid to hurt anybody's feelings if they need to be hurt. He tells you, you know, he calls a spade a spade. Um, and honestly, that's what 
made me the umpire I am is, you know, growing up when I was screwing things up, you know, flinching at pitches inside and this and that, and he'd be taking pictures and videos of me and telling me, hey, you know, you got to improve. This is what you're doing. This is what you got to do. You got to improve on it. Boom. And I go and do it. And you tell me, good job. Or I wouldn't do it. And he'd smack me upside the head and, <laughs> hey, get better. We all have those mentors. If we eventually progress to a certain spot, tough love. That's what it That's is. Right. Tough love, but it gets you there, right? That's right. Yep. No, he definitely did. Okay. Let's talk about umpiring in Nova Scotia, specifically the Nova Scotia Senior Baseball League. Have you had the opportunity to work that league in the past? League. <laughs> Yes, I did. I uh, believe I was 19 when I worked my first game. It was actually with Blaine. <laughs> he called me to tell me, yeah, you're going to do your first senior game. So, you know, as any young rookie doing the first game, I expect I'm with the chief. He's going to be on the plate. I'm going to get my feet a little bit wet. And uh, I showed up to the park. They told me to bring everything. Him and uh, Jody Frowley was uh, supervising. And I showed up and they told me, they didn't tell me before, they told me then and there, you're on the plate 45 minutes beforehand. So that's how I jumped into a four-hour, 15-minute, 14-inning The game. rookie was on the plate for sure at four hours and 15 minutes. Yep, that's how that game went. And, you know, of course, it was my fault with uh, the away team scoring two runs in the top of the ninth to tie the game. And, of course, that's, you know, that's on me. Before you go on, you mentioned top of the ninth. Just to clarify, Nova Scotia Senior Baseball, they play nine innings. Am I correct? They do. This year, if we do have senior ball, it is back down to seven. But the previous years for the past six, yeah. six seven years, I believe, we do we played nine innings. Yeah. That's beyond the point. Imagine now you're, all your career, you've worked seven innings, and all of a sudden you get to plate. Working those two extra innings, big difference. Very big. I could feel the difference uh, about... Honestly, into the sixth inning, I could feel my legs getting a little shaky because it was a slower game. And then once we get into the ninth, tenth, I was a little... And then honestly, I'll tell you, the eleventh hit and it was straight adrenaline. I didn't feel a thing. Fair I enough. was go, 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 or every pitch counts. They were The boys were, didn't give it to me at all, all game because they knew it was my first game. And then extra innings, hey, you know, we're playing for something here, started to give it to me a bit. But wasn't nothing uh, too bad, nothing I couldn't handle, but... I know from experience when I moved into working nine inning baseball, what I found the hardest was coming with the end of the fifth and you're realizing I still have almost as much of this game as I've already done left. And psychologically, I'm trying to pace myself to go. I still got the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth to go. Unlike the end of the fifth and the seventh inning game, you might just have nine more outs to capture. Well, that's right. It's, you know, once you're, you can have a couple quick three up, three downs to start your game. And all of a sudden, you're in the top of the third, and you finish the you know, top of the third, and you're bottom of the third, half hour, 40 minutes in your game, halfway done. Yeah, typically the bottom you know, comes after the top. Yeah, you're right. In a nine-inning game, you know, you're a third of the way. So it's, it's a lot different. It definitely takes, I won't say a toll on the head, because I don't think about when's this or that, but it's, you know, definitely an adjustment when I started from seven to nine-inning ball. But it was definitely nice to have that nine-inning experience from senior ball before I left for the Can-Am and pros like that because it was it was more normal to me than it was extended or overly right. long. Yeah, and exactly. It's just an observation I remember making going like, hmm, interesting. But once you get into the eighth inning, then it's just baseball. And hopefully, like we as umpires do, we get stuck inside our heads. The important thing is stick to the fundamentals and hopefully the game flows. Yep, that's right. Yeah, three up, three outs at a time. That's the way uh, we try to look at it. Yeah, you do. I mean, when you're getting your triple plays, I, I get you. I understand. 
<laughs> well, that's an easy one. Okay, let's move on from Nova Scotia. Let's talk about national championships, okay? Have you had the opportunity to work any national championships? So, yeah, I've had two national champions to work with. Uh, my first one, as you know, in 2017, I did the Bantams 15U in Summerside PEI. Uh, my crew chief was Bill McMillan from BC. Uh, my two-man was J.F. Gordon Martmedi from Quebec. It was a great tournament. I was able to learn a lot, hanging out with the guys, going out, having beers with Blaze and learning from each other, picking each other's brains, hanging out at the ball field, just watching baseball and having a great time. As first national experience, that was a blast. Good to hear that you had a positive national experience. I think that's everything you've said is what the goal of a national championship is. The camaraderie, the learning opportunities, the on and off field. And it's when a group like that gels together really well. It's what makes it a lot of fun. I was there, and I'm going to second it. It was a great tournament. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I will never forget that. It was my first national. And you mentioned some good names there, like Blaise LeVay. And I think tip of the cap to the supervisor at that championship was David Cass. Dave Cass, yeah, he uh, that was he put together a real, real great cruise for us. You know, he uh, he did an excellent job there. It's always nice when they're organized. Now I know you really enjoyed the championship, but what was the highlight of the tournament for you? Got to be gold medal game, first base. Everybody wants the gold medal plate going in there. Being realistic, with I believe there was fifteen of us there. There's only one gold medal plate job. I went in there just to do my best. You hope for the best. Turning the page over when it was given to us and seeing my name on the gold medal first base was definitely, uh, it was a very rewarding and humbling feeling. I was very happy with that. But I mean, also the other thing, uh, like I say, I'll never forget the camaraderie and the guys. We we had such a great group going out. I, I remember the Saturday night <laughs> after we got the assignments. That was, uh, I believe that was the night of McGregor Mayweather. That was, and we headed out to the wing we went to the Legion, didn't we? Across the street from the hotel. I think it was the wing. Was it the wing or the Legion? It the was the... Uh, 200 Summerside wing. It was the Legion. I remember it was the Legion because my uh, my old man was there with us. Yeah, bottom right might have been the wing. Anyways, I'm going to put money we, on it. It was the wing, but I, I, I might have had a little too much to drink to remember exactly <laughs> where we were. Dad's in the background fact-checking here. That's right, yeah. You're <laughs> fact-checking, yeah, he's... But yeah, I remember, I'll never forget that. We we all went there to watch it. And uh, I remember my old man, everybody came. He bought the first round for everybody. Yes. <laughs> when we talk about the umpire family, we also include the extended family. That's the extended the family, family. there in it. Yes, that's right. So, you don't have to work forget. on field to be part of the umpire family. I think it was it was 11 of us there. And my old man bought the first round. And then I believe Stevie Clark, a uh, good Nova Scotia guy. He's in New Brunswick now. But he bought the second round. And then everybody just paid their dues. And I think everybody paid for a round for everyone. And that was a very memorable night. No question. And you brought up the highlight. August 26, 2017. Floyd Mayweather Jr. versus Conor McGregor. Mayweather knocked out oh, McGregor yeah. in the 10th round I believe or that's the ninth right round. went to the last round it was like it was we one were... of the last ones and he uh he took him out typically the bar closes around 2 a.m and I think that that didn't start till midnight local time oh yeah we were dragging my old man out on <laughs> you know arm over each Stevie Clark and Josh Braxma from out Saskatchewan that's about a two and a half foot difference between those two <laughs> yeah he... 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, the cab driver wouldn't take him without me going with him. Yeah, no, that, we were the, it was oh, probably 3, 3.30 at that point in time. They, uh, they, they weren't shutting down for anything. And don't want to really throw umpires from the bus. You know, we do go to national championships. We are there to be responsible. There was a weather delay. It was pouring rain. They were it not going to start yes. the tournament the next day. So to be in Summerside to watch the Mayweather McGregor fight and it's pouring rain, you know you're not starting the next morning. It was one of the perks of being there. That's right. It was yeah. It was it was one of the few times that I definitely uh, won rain roulette. <laughs> yes, right. that was not not making excuses. We knew that we were not going to be on the field till That's solid right, yeah. four p.m. five p.m. So I think it was raining that night yeah. anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this is one of our famous post-show edits. I don't think it's fair to talk about that night in Summerside without bringing up the topic of Donair egg rolls and the great hospitality of Mike Richards, current provincial supervisor of the PEI Baseball Umpire Association. The guy knows where to go to get a good Donair egg roll, and he knows how to hook a guy up. But the hospitality of the PEI folk are fantastic. Mike was working the tournament, so all these years later, Mike, haven't forgot it. Thanks to the great hospitality. Now back to the show. That was a great stroll down memory lane, but we got to move on. Where was your second national championship? Uh, my second one, I did the Canada Cup in 2018 in Moncton. Remy Forger from Quebec. He was my crew chief. Great guy. Kevin Cooley, as you know, from Saskatchewan, my roommate in two men. He was he was my favorite, honestly. I got to say, he, me and him got along like peas in a pod. He told me at the end of the tournament, I taught him a lot about umpiring on the field. But I'll tell you, he taught me a lot more about umpiring off the field than I taught him umpiring on the field. Because he, you know, this and that about keeping your cool and keeping a low profile and all that. Kevin was extravagant. He was the perfect roommate for me. He was the perfect, you know, guy to have with me. And, you know, like he said, you know, on the field, he learned a lot from me. So I'm glad we were able to learn from each other. And Remy, he was great too. We were able to, with his French, he was able to, you know, fix an issue with the Quebec bench for me one time. And, you know, he was a great umpire, great person. You know, me being the young buck up there, they were <laughs> taking care of my meals and whatnot, which they didn't have to do. So that was a great experience. I got to do a semifinal plate which as a top four plate job, there's nothing to fret about that. That's, that was honestly, that was my goal going in. I, you know, gold medal, great, but a top four plate job is, uh, that's sure. what I did want being my second national and uh, bronze medal, second base. I, you know, I get a, a semifinal plate, a medal game. I had a blast working with the guys I worked with, hanging out with everybody as being the Canada cup. It's a little bit of a longer event, right? I got to hang out with, you know, the guys more. Um, so again, it was a great group of guys, everybody there, you know, going out for dinner and drinks and whatnot. Mike Doucette, you know, he's, I believe he's runs the umpires in New Brunswick. Yes. He was, uh, he ran the tournament. So, you know, that was very beneficial to us umpires having an umpire running the tournament. Right. So he hooked us up with, you know, all nine yards of everything, shirts and hats and Treated us very, very, very well. And all in all, that tournament, you know, the, the, I can't choose which one was better. My, both times, I had a blast. I had a great time. I have no complaints, no regrets, and I'm super happy that I was able to participate in the two nationals that I did. Two things. First thing, when you go to Moncton, Mike Doucette looks after you as an umpire. Going to put it out there. Mike with AtlanticOfficials.ca. Call or text Mike. He'll help you get on your way. We'll hear about more of that in a bit. 
I can be sure that that Canada Cup was phenomenal. They put it all live streamed. So nice to watch it from across the country. Second thing, though. Okay, now the second thing. Did you have rain in that championship as well? Yes, we did. Um, You're cursed. So I believe we started on the Wednesday. Thursday, we were wiped. No games here or there. So it was kind of rough. You know, generally you have two games a day, maybe one game on one day. With your two games on the Wednesday, nothing Thursday. Um, every crew, I believe, did three games a day, Friday, Saturday. That turns into a tough schedule. Yeah, there might have actually, sorry, no, it was one on the Friday, because uh, we had four crews. On Friday, uh, two crews did three games. And then on Saturday, the other two crews did three games. And it was three and two, three and two. But um, yeah, it was definitely a very tiring Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because Sunday, generally the quarterfinal Saturday night. So we had to squeeze in the nine, I believe the nine, 10 and seven, eight game we two manned because we were down an umpire. And we also had the quarterfinal game Sunday morning. So you need three guys for that. You need three guys for your semis, four guys for your medals. Yep. So being down an umpire on Saturday, or second half of Saturday and Sunday, and with the rain out, it was uh, very exhausting. But honestly, it was uh, very rewarding. It was fun being at the field all day, every day. Uh, I have no complaints about it. Okay, I know you don't have any complaints, but I got to ask you, I've been talking to a former supervisor. I want to know, who was the toughest supervisor in that tournament? Probably the guy you were talking to, Scotty Mills. No question. He's a tough one. Well, you know, I won't, it wasn't why was he tough. Um, honestly, I'll thank him for it. Uh, you know, he lit a fire under my ass. My first game, I don't think I had much. It was, but he gave me an emerging. He gave it to me and I took it as fire under my ass. You're going to light it. I'm, I'm going to light it too. And I believe I was straight accomplished across the board the rest of the tournament. And at my post-tournament eval, he told me, he goes, I knew you had a lot more in you than what you showed in the first game. So I'm glad you showed it. Like I was pissed. I was thankful in hindsight at the end. But he, Scotty, you know, he told me what I needed to hear. He, you know, gave me the fire that I needed. And, you know, once I went with it, Darren Scott and uh, Mark Jones, they just, you know, they, they loved everything. And they said it was great. Scotty said it was great. Good to hear. I thank you for sharing that story, not to throw you under the bus. But the reason why I kind of bring it up is that it's really important that umpires know when they go to these championships, they got to work from the first pitch. From day one, yeah, that's right, absolutely. I, I will agree 100%. I won't say I didn't, I just didn't. Your first hard step off the third baseline in game one of a Nova Scotia-Newfoundland game was a ground ball to the first baseman, and I you know I think I casually jogged. Your first steps in your first game, you gotta, you're 100%. You're, you're there for four or five days, you give everything you have in a national tournament. Supervisors, everybody's watching every little thing. Nothing's getting missed. 100%. It's when you don't think the people are watching that they're really watching and the situations happen, they catch you off guard. And it doesn't matter what teams are playing. You might have the two best teams and have the most boring Or the game, two worst teams. Or the two, you know, lesser skill, worst teams and have this intense game that you get the opportunity to umpire. Definitely. You just don't know what you're going to get in every game and you have to treat every game like it's the last game and the most important game. Yeah, well, Because that's you right. might only get so many chances to shine or to umpire, so don't waste them. Hammer them every time. That's why you're there. That's right. Okay, you've mentioned it a couple times here and we've put it off. 
Let's talk about working professional baseball, okay? But to get to professional baseball, one of the things you have to do at first is go to umpire school. How many times have you been to umpire school? So all in all, uh, three total times. Wow. I went when I was 18, uh, only for two weeks. I wasn't eligible for a job. Okay. So all in all, I went twice to get a job. But the first time I went as I was an 18-year-old, like I say, I was fresh out of high school. Uh, I was thinking about university, got accepted some places I was interested in. But I said to my parents, says, I want to go to umpire school for two weeks. I, I don't want to sound conceited, but I feel like I knew enough of the very minor basic rules to not go to the beginners part of Wendelstedt because they have two sections, the beginners and the advanced. Okay. So once I got to the advanced, that's when they started talking the rules of obstruction, interference, stuff that I needed to learn more about. And in the first few weeks were more the basic rules of outs and safes. And, and just for the listener's perspective, you cannot get hired to minor league baseball if you go to the basic course. That's right. You need to go the full four to five weeks. Yeah. In my first time for the two weeks, I went down. I was learning. I don't want to say the rules I knew, but I was getting a much better grasp. I was getting, you know, the interpretations and everything. Stuff was making more sense as to why it's why we're doing what we're doing. During those two weeks or two and a half weeks, I should say, there was three of us, I believe, that came for the second portion so we had about three nights in the first week that I was there. We, uh, on our own time, we went with the instructors and they just kind of taught us a little bit of this and that to catch us up on anything we might have missed. I remember after my third and final one, one of the instructors, he was more of the influential instructor, Junior Valentine. He's in AAA and he's, uh, I believe he's a triple digit MLB umpire right yep. now. Thanks to the pandemic, got his opportunity. Yep. That's right. Um, he pulled me aside and he said, Alex, you're young. You look on the field like you have possibly what it takes. If we see it for the full time, have you thought about coming back? And once he said that, it kind of made my mind up of, okay, I'm coming back next year for the full course. And I told him, I said, you know what? Yeah, I, do, I, I want to come back. So that's when I did go back the next year to Wendelstead again for the full course. Uh, grinded through it, made my way through it pretty good. I think I had 95, 96 average in my tests for rules fairly well in, uh, on field stuff. So they sent me through to P buck and, uh, that was, I was 19 at the time. Most guys were a few years older, probably average age was 24, 25, but I was there with the minor league umpire school and they stay at their school. So, you know, we're kind of going to them. They have, they've already know the supervisors and the people that are supervising and judging and whatnot. And honestly, I, my nerves hit the wall. I, uh, going on the field, everything just hit. I, you know, I flustered, I, this and that. I tell you, I probably learned more in that one week. I don't want to say more, but I learned just, just about as much in that one week as I learned in the four or five weeks at Wendelstead, just from all the advanced stuff of, you know, umpire interference, you know, uh, a Bach and a catcher's interference and then a field, uh, runner's interference all in one play. <laughs> so they throw everything at you right. in one play at P-Buck. And I, my brain's just splatted. When I went in for my, uh, you know, interview, you know, get your job, not get your job, you know, the college league or this and that, they always ask you, how do you think? And I told them right away, I knew I was, uh, I learned a lot. I struggled. I was able to learn a ton from what I messed up and everything. And 
they said, look, you're young, you're from Canada, so you don't have the experience that a lot of guys have because they can work through the winter. And we're glad that you can see that you need to improve on stuff. Took that home with me. Um, obviously, uh, as you know, I ended up in the Can-Am later that year. I, I learned, I took out the Can-Am, I did a bunch of work trying to improve on stuff. I actually, in the Can-Am, one, uh, one night I spent three hours in a mirror working on outs and safe signals with uh, my partner. My crew chief said it was atrocious, so partner took me aside, worked on it, and I had the best signals or mechanics in the league at the end of the year, according to the supervisor. So that works for right. all you out there. Mirrors, outs, and safes. But um, I learned, I took everything that the P-Buck guys told me to do, get experience, learn, just be a sponge. When I went back in 2019, uh, much different experience at the Minor League Umpire Academy because they're, it's, I don't want to say it's more military-like, but they're very schedule set in stone. Wendelstead's very laid back, you know, do your thing. At the academy, it's you know, everybody's here. You're watching, you're learning. You don't have opportunity to wander around field to field. So if you're there for a job, that's the place to be because you, if you want to, if you want the job, you want to learn, you want to see everything and hear everything, that's where you're at because they don't really give you the option of not participating. Even if you're standing in line, you're participating by learning and listening in. But yeah, luckily enough, again, I went there. They gave me a spot in the advanced course at Peabuck. Went through the week there. I was a lot less flustered as I was in front of them for four to five weeks beforehand. Did my week of uh, whatever they threw at me. And uh, on the Tuesday or Monday, whatever it was, they called the name. I went back, sat in front of three of the bosses. Told me last time I was here, I didn't hear what I wanted to, but this time I'm going to hear what I want to hear. So and that was probably one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. I can only imagine because looking back on it, you went to Wendelstadt. What was this, the advanced time? What year was that? 16? 2016, yeah. And then you worked the Can-Am League that year, and then you kind of take a couple years off. Yeah. We talked about the Baseball Canada National Championships, and then you go back to the Minor League Academy. Now, in your opinion, how do you think the Baseball Canada National Umpire Program has helped you get to the minor league level? With Baseball Canada, I don't want to say it was a reality check, but it's, you know, this is how baseball is, you know, normal baseball, you umpire, and it was experience. Well, that's you it. You got to grind. So you got to see the pitches behind the catcher that go over your head right down the middle. You got you to gotta do it. You just got to sit there. And I tell you, like in my probably my third or fourth year of umpiring minor ball, I was trying to do as much. I would do two, three games during the week, and if there was tournaments within an hour, right. I was I was driving to umpire. Now, one of the nice things about being an umpire in Canada and potentially going to work minor league baseball or going to umpire school is that the Baseball Canada uses the official rules of baseball or the OBR rule set, and we use the same mechanics. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, of course, at the Nationals, the, the Bantam one with the re-entry rule, that kind of... Uh, there's a little, there's threw, a few little different ones there. Through a few wrenches, but I mean, yes, for the most part, all the rules. I remember I had a senior playoff game in 2017, so I did the Can-Am for the full season beforehand, and, you know, I got playoffs in there. And all the players in the senior league knew that I was, you know, I was there before, and then I left for a year, and now I was back. Working on it. So they, they knew who I was. For the most part, there was a, a bunt down the first baseline and uh, called interference. The ball was maybe an inch foul, but it was 
looked like it was probably rolling back fair and the bat rolled in and hit the ball time interference player said it was in foul territory and i said well it had a possibility of coming yeah yeah okay that was kind of that that's why we're there to make those calls that's right and i mean they're they can be hard they can suck to make but you got to make them and now here's the reality about making those calls the only way that you're ever going to become a better umpire is if you make those calls because if well, you never right. step up to make those calls, you're never going to be a better umpire. Absolutely. You know, you got to test yourself. Hopefully tonight you know the interpretation well enough that you're going to nail it. <laughs> and if you don't, well, you're probably, you should be going back and looking it up and going, I'm never going to do that again. That's right. Yep. Anything I've ever screwed up, I can guarantee it's the only time I screwed <laughs> it up. Okay. Let's jump around here. Can-Am League. How did you get on staff with that league? So when I was in the uh, the advanced course for Peabuck in 2016, one of the guys, he went to Wendelstedt in 2015. I didn't know him from the two weeks I was there. But in 2016, one of my best friends in my crew, we both got through. He was good buddies with this guy. That guy, uh, I think his name was Mike. He worked for uh, Kevin Wynn, who ran the American Association of the Can-Am at the time. And he told me that Kevin's always looking for Canadians because he has his the Can-Am, they got their three teams. So he said, if you don't end up getting a job, I'll, I'll hook you two up. And anyways, I gave him a call and we played phone tag for a little bit, ended up talking. He told me, you know, I, I heard a lot of great things, but I need to see you with my own eyes. I have a camp in Texas in two weeks. You got to come down, show me what you can do. Uh, So I went down to the camp uh, where they teach you all the three-man, the professional minor league three-man, not the baseball Canada stuff. So they teach that and then, you know, classroom on field for three days. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they have high school tournaments and, you know, baby ball and little league stuff down there. So you go and umpire and show what you got. And they make selections for all the different leagues that they're assigning to. So anyways, I was lucky enough, Kevin... uh, offered me a position to be the full-time Canadian traveler. Uh, So I drove through Quebec City, Trois-Rivières, and Ottawa, the three cities or towns. Uh, I did, I believe, 101 games that year. Or I did 99 regular season, two playoffs, so 101 in total. Man, that's intense. It was a step up, I'll tell you that, from anything I've ever done, because I hadn't been to a a national. I did the K&M, so... You know, my first plate job, I was jumping behind the plate. You know, I might have seen low 80s, maybe mid 80s in the senior league the year before. I jumped in, the first pitch was 96 right down the middle. (laughs) So it was a little bit of an adjustment. The movement on the curveballs and the sliders and all those extra pitches, the adjustment, my my first week, I was terrible. Oh, uh, you know, but you can say only going up from there, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. There's no way to know. No way it could be worse. So <laughs> I had great crew chiefs there that protected me. You know, they told the managers, Hey, I got this rookie kid that he's learning. Give me two weeks. So they, you know, and uh, after two weeks, the coaches, players telling me, Hey, yeah, you've, you've come a long way. And in those two weeks, which again, you're going to have to come a long way or you're not going to survive. Right. But if you're doing that, it's it's every night. Like it's not like you're doing it once every three days. When you're up, that's you know you wake up and go to work out, get some lunch, go to the field. Like you're that's your day circled around your game. You're focused on that for most of the day. So it's uh, I don't want to say it's easy, but once you get in the rhythm, it's definitely easier once you're in the rhythm of umpiring every day. 
the first six or what was I was there probably four weeks. And then I was left for a week to come home. I was dead the week I was home. The first three days I was sleeping 12, 13 hours. And I know it doesn't seem like much. You're only umpiring one game from yeah. seven to 10, but you know, you're showing up at five o'clock, five thirty to the field. You're rubbing the baseballs. You're getting ready. You're there until, you know, it takes six, seven hours out of your night. Oh yeah. You're a That's what you're, you're there to do. Right. And permanent evening worker. It, it isn't as, as easy as it sounds, but once you, like I say, you get in the rhythm and the routine, it's a blast and you know how to handle it. Once I, you know, I was in the August, September days of it, uh, it was so much fun. So much fun. Alex, considering your pathway to affiliated baseball, how do you think the Can-Am league helped you get there? Hands down, uh, supervisors at, uh, P buck ask you about your experience. So if you, once they know that you have umpired a Can-Am, a Frontier League, an American Association, Atlantic League, any type of league like that, that's a step up for you because that, I mean, that's not rookie ball that we start out at. That's the equivalent. Low A, high A, double A on a good night. So it was definitely very good ball. It was, you know, the Can-Am was much better baseball than the GCL when I was in Florida. But that's because the guys in the Can-Am are 25 to 30 years old trying to get back into AAA to get into the bigs. They're mature. Seven, yeah, they're not the, the kids. That was definitely uh, beneficial to have the, the much higher skill and the pitching and the high speeds and whatnot. So having that experience in itself, that helps you. But then to be able to look at things when you're on the field in the Can-Am, when you're on the field at the umpire school or whatever like that, and yeah, your supervisors are there, but you don't have three, four, or 5,000 people behind you looking at you. Sure. It slows so much down. Everything slows down for you. You're able to see it. You're, you're thinking easier. Uh, my second ever game actually in the Can-Am, uh, it was Quebec's home opener. Trevor Gretzky was making his home debut, Wayne Gretzky's son. Wayne was rumored to be in the building, so we had sold out 6,500 people in my second game of the Can-Am. <laughs> so my adrenaline was was flying. Big Once Wayne Gretzky most... fan, are you? <laughs> uh, you know, more of a Lemieux fan. But, you know, the adrenaline in my first few games there, years later at, you know, umpire school and getting into affiliated ball, things slow down for me because I've been into a type of professional baseball that is very skilled with fans. So the pressure really isn't, you know, it's not new to me. I have the experience a little bit to deal with it. So it definitely slows things way down. You're able to think clearer, quicker, better. It's a big stepping stone for me to get into affiliated ball. One of the interesting things, too, about Trevor Gretzky, he did play low A ball and rookie ball. So Yeah, I believe he played with the Cubs. In the, within their organization, yep. Yeah, yeah, yes, in and the I minor league system. The Angels system, too, for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Mr. Lemieux fan, you've mentioned GCL. We're going to talk about minor league baseball. Share with our listeners how minor league baseball set up in kind of the restructuring. So, yeah, the GCL, uh, that was the rookie back in 2019. Obviously, they had AAA, AA, high A, low A, which they still have. Uh, they used to have the short season A circuit which pretty much scrapped with all the restructuring with, is the gcl still there after the four full season leagues they have the gulf coast league and the arizona league 2019 i was in the gulf coast league uh, i flew down mid mid to late june for a uh, week's time it was just me uh buddy connor from toronto and a guy from czech republic had to fly down a week early to get our social security numbers we were down there and that was great because they paid us our per diems just to <laughs> 
be in the clear water. And yep. as you can imagine, yeah, we had a few nice days and nights out of beach weather. That's right. Um, but yeah, once the season got started, we had a league meeting. Um, I had a great partner, uh, Jake McConnell from Georgia. He was awesome. Shared a room together, but generally we're in fairly nice hotels, bigger rooms. One of them was a suite. So, Ooh. you know, you had your own space. We had we had nice stuff. We had our own, like I said, we had a Hyundai Tucson for an SUV to drive around, pay for the gas, pay for the hotels, pay for flights, pay for meals on top of your salary. So that's all very great and well. Being down there just on par and every day was was fun. It was waking up at 8 a.m., you know, that sucks normally, but waking up at 8 a.m. to know you're going to eat breakfast and drive to a ball field and umpire game at noon that was easy to do i mean and it was so much fun just every day you know what you're doing nothing to worry about everything's taken care of you got a union you got to umpire and take care of your stuff and that's that really interesting that you mentioned you're umpiring at noon in the can-am league you're umpiring every night at seven o'clock but in the gcl those are all high noon games eh and yeah in the gcl they, yeah we did pretty much uh, every game at noon on Saturdays, because Saturday was travel day, we would travel, do your game Saturday, take off for your next division, and then you stay there for a week. Saturdays were 10 a.m. games. <laughs> and honestly, it's it sounds worse because it's earlier, but 10 a.m. was a great time to start because high noon Florida and that yeah. sun, that was not fun. I, I'll tell you, Phil, my first game, I was on the dish. I was in Tampa Bay doing the... Uh, <laughs> I was doing the Yankees and Phillies rookie teams. And I probably had to walk about 100 yards from outside the building, locker room, walk through the building. Once I opened the doors, about 100, 150 yards over to home plate. And by the time I reached home plate, I looked up. I was I was soaked in sweat. <laughs> Great weight loss program. It was, you know, it was 105 degrees. Oh. The humidity was through the roof. It was quite something. And I tell you, every day, uh, it took about two or three weeks to finally get adjusted to it but you never fully got used to it that heat at noon it shone down on you you had to get electrolytes from the trainers every three four innings just you know to keep you going because it was and it was rough behind the plate did you play on turf fields we uh oh, <laughs> not for the most part uh okay. we had i had one game on a turf field in lakeland and lakeland was the worst place that's the tigers Okay. They're they're central Florida. They're inland. They're not on the coast. Okay. All the teams on the west coast, except for Fort Myers, were on you know close to the ocean. East yep. coast, same thing. Lakeland was smack dab central Florida, and we had one game where uh, they said it would be about four hours to get the dirt field ready and ten minutes to get the turf field ready. Luckily, I was on the bases. So I didn't have the gear on, but <laughs> at the same time, it was on the turf field. It was 124 degrees. Oh wow. Fahrenheit. Even though I was on the bases, it was not fun. Every half inning, we each slammed a Gatorade, slammed a little cup of Gatorade, cup of water, water down your back. It was very hot, very challenging, but um, I was at the Miami Marlins complex, and I was working the bases. So as the base guy, you know, after we rub all the balls up in the locker room, as the base guy, I'd carry them down and put them, give them to the ball boy for the home team. And rookie ball, it's generally just yesterday's pitcher or two days ago, the starting pitcher is the ball boy. So I just put it behind the little gate, and um, as I put it behind the gate, the manager said, thanks, Alex. I looked, no problem, and he was talking with another gentleman by the name of Derek Jeter. Oh, my God. CEO of the Marlins, right? So right, right. Uh, he's, 
plate meetings right you know it's supposed to start now and he goes i'll i'll be out in a minute or two and you come out when you're ready to come out Luis, because you're talking to derek jeter so but it was it was really cool to you know put the balls down look up there's derek jeter and actually um my mom and aunt and grandmother were there and uh, i guess they were there uh he was going around talking with everybody and he had a good conversation with them and my mom said that i was the umpire so every time i made a call in favor of them he'd Tell her, hey, he made a good call there. If I made a call not in favor, <laughs> hey, your son was not a good umpire. Didn't make a good call there. But that was that was really cool. That is, sounds uh, cool. Just stuff like that. There was a few times you just look at the lineup card and see uh, the stars or asterisks by the names for MLB on rehab. Okay. All players are required to wear two ear flaps. Right. On their helmets, major leaguers only need the one. So if you're a major leaguer on rehab, you only need the one ear flap. So a funny one I had, um, Matt Duffy. At the time, he was with the Rays, Tampa Rays. He came up, and I didn't notice. Uh, that actually didn't get marked down until I brought it up. Or maybe it was I didn't notice. But he came up with the one ear flap. And I, I recognized him. I said, I think that's Matt Duffy. Uh, just asked him, make sure. You're a big leaguer. He says, yeah. Anyway, so first pitch right down the middle. I called it strike one. And the catcher throws the ball back and looks up at the batter and goes, has anybody ever told you you look like Matt Duffy? <laughs> and he steps, he's stepping, tapping the plate, doing his thing. And he just stops and freezes and looks at the guy and goes, I am Matt Duffy. <laughs> Second pitch right down the middle, rips a double down the line, and the catcher looks, and he goes, I probably shouldn't have called the second pitch fastball after I knew he was a big leaguer. No comment. <laughs> Live and learn. Live and learn. Yeah, that, that was a funny one. But, it was no, it's cool. Um, I saw – well, the Nationals won the World Series in 2019, so it was nice. I saw Jerry Mahalikson, Wilmer Defoe. I think there was one other guy. But, yeah, no, there's two guys that won rings, at least, that I was – Oh, wow. Didn't even know it. I just came out. Catcher told me, hey, we got a big leaguer here. They give you, because we use different baseballs. So if they ever have a big leaguer on the mound, they have their own. They say, hey, here's, so that inning, it was, uh, I had one time with the Twins. They had four innings of each pitcher went, two pitchers went two innings. Every half inning, I had to go to them to get my big league balls and then transfer back after that half inning, get my rookie balls. Definitely cool being in the system because you see, you know, I, I was lucky enough to umpire some of those guys. I was able for the Blue Jays, for some listeners, um, Ryan Barucki. I uh, called a couple innings of him, um, Alejandro Captain Kirk. Okay, yes. Yeah, because he made the he big came down. made the big jump, essentially. That's right. He, yeah, he did. Um, I only had him for maybe four innings on a rehab. And it was, I think it was a special circumstance. He didn't need to even, it was just, he was there. Good at bats. And boom, he, I, I, the only reason I really recognize him is because, you know, you don't have many five foot eight, five foot seven, 260 pound <laughs> catchers in front of you. But, you He's know, I boy. tell you that, I mean, the catcher, the difference when he was catching or, you know, you have a rehab catcher from AAA, they were, they were much, much better than the, the rookie league catchers who were, they were there to learn and grow. That's why they're at that level, right? That's right. That's why we're all there. Want to share a quick story here? I've never spoken to Ryan Barucki directly, but one time he did tell me that you did squeeze him that day. I remember the pitch, too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Alex, you talked about 2019. We know the pandemic hit. Minor League Baseball was canceled last year. You're going back this year. Where are you headed? 
So this year, like you mentioned, I was in the Gulf Coast League in Florida in 2019. Um, this upcoming year, I'm going to be in Arizona. It's going to be the Arizona Rookie League, very similar to the Gulf Coast League. Obviously, with the short A circuit completely wiped, um, it is a step up. It is still a rookie league. Uh, I will be in Arizona. There will be evaluations, supervisions. It's going to just be, you know, practice, get to work in. I'm super happy, super excited to get down there and back to work. And, you know, it's been over 620 some odd days since <laughs> I've been on uh, minor league field. I'm ready to get down there. I'm ready to get to it like i said couldn't be more excited well we're really excited for you up here in canada alex all the best good luck and go down and make some stories that you're willing to share with us another day okay alex we're going to move on to another section of the show we call this 10 questions it is a fan favorite but before we do we're going to hear from this episode's sponsor are your ball bags getting a little raggedy are you in the market for a new mask or some new umpire equipment then head on over to atlanticofficials.ca where Mike will help you get on your way. Call or text 506-866-6436, atlanticofficials.ca, where Mike will help you get on your way. Use promo code LEADINGEDGE to get the best service going. Now, the way this goes, Alex, very simple. Going to ask you 10 random questions. If I like your answer, and if we disagree, First question, you kind of have a, I'm going to say a popular baseball Canadian name with last name Laurie. Any relationship to Brett Laurie? Very distant, yes. But um, we are related. I do know the first cousin, so. Oh, geez. Well, I'm not going to tell any of those boys out in BC that had the opportunity to work with Brett Laurie as a player growing up. I heard he had a little bit of fire in his belly. I've, I've, yeah, I've heard he wasn't the nicest guy to be around, too. <laughs> Fair enough. But now that we know they're cousins, well, Maybe we can have a family reunion here on Leading Edge here one day. <laughs> we talked about Cole Harbour. We talked about Wayne Gretzky. But how many times have you had the opportunity to meet Sidney Crosby? Too many to count. Fun fact, uh, Philly. I love fun facts. Sister was my first kiss. Oh, what's this? Taylor Crosby was my first kiss. I, I don't know what I'm binging uh, to, but... Taylor's his sister. Yeah, she's my age. Um, we played on the same team in Pee Wee. We went up to the tournament in Quebec City, and, you know, Sydney gave us the whole nine yards, bags, mini stick sets, duffel bags, Ugh. gear, helmets, gloves, police escorts. <laughs> we uh, we played Mario Lemieux's son, uh, the Pittsburgh Junior Penguins. They murdered us about 20 nothing in two periods. But after the second period, we just shut her down and uh, they brought the Stanley Cup out on the ice. We were all, all of our team was able to get pictures with the Stanley Cup, Meryl Lemieux. That was a definitely a big benefit of knowing the Crosbys. Fair enough. Disclaimer, I had no idea, not even going to lie, that there was even any connection when I asked that question. And the other thing glad, I, <laughs> yeah, glad I could help. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I found it quite interesting, you mentioned you got murdered. The interesting thing about hockey in Quebec, you go to a tournament, if you're losing by so many goals after the second period, well, shut her down. We don't need to be here no more. Full game fees for the ref. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Who's your favorite trailer park boy? It's got to be Bubbles. Fan favorite? Bubbles and his kitties. That's right. That the, big glasses. Yep. I mean, boy, does he ever look different without the glasses, but. Living in a shed? Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have life goals, but have you ever had the opportunity to visit Sunnyvale Trailer Park or a guest star in an episode, potentially in the background, walking downtown Halifax? Nope, unfortunately I have not. 
Have you ever ventured out to the Centerville Trailer Park? Uh, yes, I have. Many times. <laughs> many times, actually. I got chased off many times by security. <laughs> well, you mentioned Bubbles, Mike Smith, kind of a Canadian icon. So you ever get the chance, people, head on out and find out Trailer Park Boys. And not to brag, I know somebody that had the opportunity to be a guest on Trailer Park Boys. Goes by the name of Jimmy McGinley. I'm not going to say what his uh, character name was. <laughs> Starts with a D <laughs> and it ends with a head. I want to know who makes the best don't air in Halifax. Crazy Weasel, those are my guys. I know Halifax don't air has a really good one. They're downtown Halifax. They're the place you go when you leave the dome <laughs> for your don't air and your pizza. But um, like I'm out in the suburbs. I'm a bit out of the city, so uh, I uh, I stick with my guys, my Lebanese guys out here. They make a they make a mean don't air. Crazy Weasel. Yes, sir. Got to check him out if I'm ever in town. But, yeah, no, Halifax, Donair, King of Donair. Oh, yeah. Leave the Dome or Pacifico or any of those places. That's where you head. Pizza Corner. I love how you bring it up. Pizza Corner. That's one of the famous things about Halifax. They actually have a street. It's called Pizza Corner. That it's pizzas on pretty much every corner. And yep. then a frozen yogurt place in one corner for some reason. But <laughs> Nothing like <laughs> getting your pizza and you get your fro over there. It's <laughs> where you got your, your drunk people at the three corners and then your sober drivers over getting their fro <laughs> I feel like the Froyo yogurt places stay open for all the hipster dads. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and wearing all their skinny jeans, picking everybody up at the bar. <laughs> I don't know what's so funny, but it just seems funny when I think of it. Let's move on. Let's talk music. Nova Scotia music, Rawlings Cross. Do you have a favorite Rawlings Cross song? I'll be honest, I don't even know who Rawlings Cross is. I guess, man, you're a little bit young. You might not be able to think about Rawlings Cross right off the top, but reel and roll. Reel and roll. Really, you're looking at me like this. You don't know what that is. For all those listening, Alex just sitting there looking at me on the other side of the screen, shaking his head in embarrassment. But I'm going to put in the show description a link to reel and roll so everybody knows what it is because I'm sure everyone's heard it. They just can't think of it right now. Well, because I brought reel and roll up, there's a reason I'm doing that because if I was a pitcher in Major League Baseball... And one of these guys that was stupid dominant, going to shut everything down, 100% reel and roll is going to be my song as I'm coming in from the bullpen. Yeah? Oh, yeah. He's a, even over Trevor Hoffman's hell, or, uh, that, that, that Hell's Bells was, uh, that's lethal. I mean, the, 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 the team comes running back to their dugout and all they hear is the ding. Mm, sure. That yeah. would terrify me coming up to the plate. I get you. Yeah, it's kind of like The Undertaker in WWF. Or WWE. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that too. Kind of Johnny Papelbon style. I'm not a big Red Sox fan, but when he used to come in with a little bit of bagpipe action, shipping hey, up to there Boston. There you go. But that's what Reel and Roll's like, except it's way okay. cooler because it's from the Maritimes. You know what? Yeah, they run with it too because, you know, a little oh. bit of bagpipes, people think you're crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, that's 100%. I would come running in, like sprinting in. <laughs> oh, no question. No question. Ooh, well, probably... There was a big league pitcher that used to do John Rocker. He would, he would yes. Yeah, you would sprint mm -hmm. from the bullpen. Didn't matter if it was 50 feet away or from left center field. Might have got himself in trouble on the subway in New York, but we're not going to go there. Yeah, we'll But you that. mentioned that people might get a little crazy with the bagpipes. Well, you know why the bagpipes were invented. It was actually invented to lead soldiers into battle, and it would annoy them so much by the time they got to battle. They're like, as long as they don't get to listen to the bagpipes no more, let's go. <laughs> Post-show edit. Looking back on this, if you're going to be a closer in Major League Baseball, you need to have your own original entrance tune. 
I get it. Enter Sandman, Hell's Bells, those things are all fantastic, but they're associated with other acts. Let's have some fun over on the Facebook page. This week, we're going to throw up a poll. I want to hear from you, the listener, who has the best entrance song of any closer of all time. And throw in there, what would be your entrance song? Check it out. Facebook, Leading Edge Umpire Stories. Now back to the show. Okay, Alex, you've been hired to be a tour guide for the Halifax Regional Municipality, or the HRM. Where are you going to take your guests? Oh, well, I mean, Peggy's Cove, that's a beautiful, uh, beautiful site. But uh, if, if the pandemic's not around, we're, uh, we're going to the Dome. <laughs> Peggy's Cove sounds like something that all the dads in their skinny jeans want to see. But in reality, you want to oh, take yeah. all the young people to the Dome. Just a local fan favorite. It has it's everything. everything you can imagine. Yeah. There's the bar. Now they have, uh, they changed to Roxbury. So that's on Saturday nights. It's the, the country bar. Oh, okay. And it's all connected. They have, a, oh, it's, it's a riot is all it is. Okay. If you're a dad with skinny jeans and you went to the dome and your dad went to the dome, I promise you that the dome's floor hasn't been cleaned <laughs> since you've been there. The floor's still sticky. Going to ask about a maritime connection here. You mentioned adult beverages before, but you're going to the bar. Are you picking a schooner beer or an Alexander Keys? Oh, Keys. Pride in Nova Scotia. Eh. Pride in Nova Scotia, but come on. Schooner beer right out of Oland Exports in St. John. If you're ever looking for the coldest beer in the fridge, you're picking a schooner beer. You know why? Because nobody else is drinking it. That's <laughs> right. You know, nobody, I mean, if you like your Oland, you, you know, you just... But if it has the blue cat, nose on it. If your cat got to take a piss and you want to get drunk, <laughs> just hold them up over your head, and that's pretty much what you're drinking. But it's it has the blue nose on it. <laughs> <laughs> that it does. Yes, that it does. Yeah. Going to have a little confession here. I moved out to Saskatchewan from the Maritimes, and you'd go out with these people, and they're like, yeah, I'll get a schooner. And I'm like, you guys have schooner beer out here? Everybody drinks schooner beer. I didn't realize a schooner meant referred to the size of the glass that they wanted it was always like, <laughs> and i'm like why does so many people drink that crap beer but yeah it's the, it's the starbucks version of vente and grande <laughs> yeah, and <whatnot>. exactly <laughs> but the reality is they drank pilsner so they, they actually drink three steps below out here but i won't get into that <laughs> but let's just say you're having a national championship in the halifax area and your crew wants to go for a good meal or just some good local food. Doesn't have to be nothing special. Where are you taking them? Uh, a good meal. I am. Um, I'm taking them to either John's Lunch or the Pleasant Street Diner, which is an extension of John's Lunch. That's the most famous seafood place in East Coast Canada. I don't know about East Coast Canada, but I'm going to give you credit. Seafood? Are you a big seafood eater? Yeah, for the most part. Okay, There's sure. some I don't like. Um, What's your favorite piece? What do you like the most? Oh, just straight fish. Straight fish? You got to love your fish. Fair enough. You know, I like my lobster, but it gets rich, you know, after two, you know, once, you know, every once in a while. Crab, same thing. Yes. Um, I like scallop. Like, uh, I love scallop. Scallops, uh, yeah, bacon wrapped scallops and whatnot. Those are delicious. But the uh, I can't, the, the, the shrimp and the snails and that stuff, I can't do that. <laughs> The escargot as well. Yeah, escargot. Escar has got to go, is how I call it. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, Halifax is known as a big East Coast music hub. What is your favorite local band? 
Oh man, favorite. Um, I know it's been difficult for a lot of people to check out some local music due to the pandemic, but man, dig deep. What do you got? Honestly, I I can't pick. A f- I like a lot of them. There, I support a lot of my local guys. Uh, from Neon Dreams to Classified to Joel Plaskett, I like a lot of them, and I support all of them. I listen to all their good music. Uh, you know, you, you hit it. That's all I got to say. Classified, John Joel Plaskett. Supporting local music, I think that's important when we talk what's going on. But Nova Scotia, you know, you look back at that music scene. Let's go back in the day. April Wine, Sloan, Stan Rogers. Yeah, Sloan, yeah. You know, I've obviously great big seas more Newfoundland, yeah. but um, yeah, you yeah. got to love that kitchen music. Right. And they have Signal Hill, I think, is one of the local cover bands that does a lot in there. Yeah, yeah. Signal Hill, yeah. You know, and then they've had, they've had Denny Doherty, who was part of the Mamas and the Papas. And give a shout out to Sarah McLaughlin. And of course, four time Grammy winner, Anne Murray. Oh, of course, yeah. That's a little before my time, but yeah, Ian Murray. <laughs> well, yeah. fair. But recently I've been reading a book. It's called Come Together Now by Alan Doyle, who actually is lead singer for Great Big C. He has a great story about singing with Ann Murray, and it's it's hilarious. So check out his book, All Together Now. I'll throw a link in the show description. Making no money on it, but it, if you want to look for it, <laughs> if you want to look for it, I got to say, throwing the land Murray around there, you can never go wrong. Yeah, that's right. Okay, this is a skill testing question. In what year was the Nova Scotian flag officially adopted? 1855, 1949, or 2013? Uh, I believe it was the first one. It definitely wasn't 2013, and uh, we were, now we're 18, I think it was 1858, if I'm not mistaken, but I think, yeah, I'll go with 1855. Wrong. 2013. What, did they make some change? Interesting to note, 155 years, the Nova Scotian government flew the flag that we know as the Nova Scotian flag. But it wasn't until 2011 or 2012 that a girl doing a history project realized that there was not an official flag of Nova Scotia. Hmm, Teach me something about my own province, Philly. That's the whole point of Leading Edge. You come Absolutely. on, you gotta, you know, every opportunity is a learning opportunity. 2013. Yeah. Oh, jeez. I was ha- banging my head here, going, "How am I gonna close out s- stories about Nova Scotia?" And well, sitting here thinking about my flag that's existed since, you know, well, that, don't God you? knows how long. But what? I think I was, you know, 17 years old when it became the official flag. Yeah. You're part of history. You were there. I or, am. I was alive. I was yeah. in high school here. Wow. Don't you feel so cheated all those years? I do. I do. Like, yes. You guys were flagless for a while. Just... We were. I mean, marching to war with just the bagpipes, no flags. <laughs> just the bagpipes, no flags. <laughs> well, Alex, that wraps up 10 questions. Thanks for playing. Moving on to the next section of the show that we like to call local legends. Essentially, what I'm asking you to do is name some people that are giving back to umpiring in your local community. Nova Scotia in the community, we... we... There's no one person. It's um, we're a group of uh, people. Um, you know, as we mentioned, Blaine earlier. Blaine, he was he was kind of front and center running things, and then the past few years, it's kind of been dispersed evenly. Um, with you know, Joel Rogers is president of the umpires division. Does an excellent job. Uh, Dennis Crotty was the signing. I'm not sure if he still is. I believe he's taken over superintendent. He's done so much. Get, and, and the younger people, Bryce Mason, 
has uh he's been a great umpire he's jumping in the national ranks moving up fairly quick as far as i know uh he's taken over as you know a 19 20 year old he was assigning for the dartmouth region which is a fairly big region he took over for ken hartling if you've heard of him or know him rest in peace he passed mm-hmm. away uh, not too yes. long ago um it was fairly recently actually uh november i believe but um, yeah, rest in peace for him. He uh, he was my first designer. Him, his wife, God love Vivian. She's a, she's a saint. She they did so much for minor baseball, not just Dartmouth, all through the HRM. You know, assigning he was assigning from Mosquito House when you had twenty Mosquito House teams, all the way up to Midget Double A, everything in between. Uh, the, you know, he would take nine, 10 hours out of his day on Sunday to, uh, assign all of his games and his wife would help out both of them. God love them, but they were, they were awesome. Uh, I believe Peter Foley from Halifax. He was very similar, vital point in growing minor baseball over in Halifax or minor umpiring, I should say. But yeah, no, and uh, coming up, uh, Skylar Blanchette, she's jumping through the national system. One of the first females, if not the first female in our national program, I believe. But uh, she's doing a lot of assigning and behind the scenes stuff. She's awesome. Great umpire, even better person. Like I said, Blaine, uh, he was, you know, a mentor for everybody. He, right. you know, showed people the way. There's, there's so many people. I'm sure I've left some names out. It's, it's not just one or two people. It's the whole association getting together and, you know, our super clinics are province wide. Everybody comes down working together, the camaraderie, just like nationals at our umpire clinics and then our tournaments, like our national elimination tournaments for midgets and juniors, the provincial tournaments near the end of the year where we have rosters out and we're all there together umpiring. And even if we're not umpiring, we're there to hang out and watch and do whatever. It's all about the umpire family. It's the family. That's right. We, um, all of us together do an excellent, uh, excellent job here of, progressing and umpiring in Nova Scotia over the last 10 years or so with Blaine Glant, Jody Frowley, Andrew Downs, Dennis Crotty. It's, it's come so far and without them, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Yeah. It comes from the roots, everybody up. It's a great umpire family and everybody deserves recognition. And don't, don't let me forget about my cousin, Ricky Viner. Cause he's doing great, you know, partner. He's uh, no Ricky's, uh, can't, can't talk about baseball in Nova Scotia without Ricky Viner. He's the man. He brings the joy to baseball and to umpiring. And if you don't have a good, happy time around him, well, there's something wrong with you. Well, if you're not having a happy time, you're having a Diet Pepsi. <laughs> That's right. A Diet Pepsi. Cuz. Cuz. Forget your, forgot your cuz. And one thing about Ricky Viner, never scared to say no to a donair. That's right. Oh, sure. Yeah. If you want your, your best donair, I'm sure he's tried every donair place in East of Montreal. <laughs> yes. Well, Alex, that essentially wraps up this episode of Leading Edge. want to thank you for coming on and giving us some time to share with us your experiences over the years. want to wish you all the best in Arizona this year working minor league baseball. But before we go, Alex, we'd like to end on a segment we call Wise Words of Wisdom. Give the guests the opportunity to share with us what they would recommend to up-and-coming umpires. So, Alex, what are your wise words of wisdom? Honestly, I think we touched on it earlier with my uh, nationalist, uh, Scott. You're always being watched. You need to work hard every pitch of every game. You never know when your next game is going to be. You never know when your last game is going to be. You need to umpire every game like it's your last. You need to work as hard as you possibly can. You need to work like every pitch is the last pitch. And you always need to be a sponge. Receive rules, 
learn and try to improve. That's the best way to umpire. Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on our next episode, where we bring on a former minor league baseball umpire, an individual who's currently working within the Baseball Canada Umpire and Supervision Portfolio, has worked two international events, and a guy whose favorite board game is... You shot my battleship. Keith McConkie. Now, before you go, we would like to leave you with this. Have you ever taken the time to consider all these shapes and angles that are involved in baseball? Angle over distance, round bat, round ball, rectangular strike zone, playing on a diamond as you squared a bunt? Wow, who would have thought grade 12 trigonometry that I never took would have came in handy in the game of baseball? Take care, everybody, and stay safe.